At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with wildlife photographer Roy Gallitz. Roy is from Israel, he has a stunning portfolio, and he's very open and has many interesting stories to share. We talk about his photography school in Israel, how he balances his life as a photographer and entrepreneur, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Roy. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Taya. It's good to be here. So I'm uh, Roy Yalitz. I'm a wildlife photographer. I'm uh, based in Tel Aviv. Also, I was uh, living in New York until the pandemic. I do uh, mostly wildlife photography and I'm guiding photography workshops. Uh, besides that, I own a photography school for the last 15 years with over 30,000 graduates and uh, two photo travel companies, one based in America and one based in Israel that does photo workshops, as well as it was, I, I had a magazine, a photography magazine, which I had to close, uh, but it had uh, uh, 27 issues with 200 pages per issue, so, and I was the editor-in-chief. And uh, besides that, I'm also, as an influencer on social media, I'm a Nikon Europe ambassador, as well as a Sandisk Professional Ambassador, Gitzo, the Tripod Company Ambassador, and Lower Pro Ambassador. And I'm also sponsored by DJI and other brands. Um, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And I've got four boys. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a father of four. Uh, so yeah, that's me. And tomorrow I'm flying to the North Pole, to Svalbard. Very exciting. You've got a lot of things going on, a lot of things. You've got those projects, the school, it's all very impressive. How do you handle the entrepreneurial side of things? I'm sure it's a lot to juggle. It is a lot to juggle. And uh, the secret is, don't tell it to anyone, but the secret is having a good team. 
And once you have a good team, you know, it's not a secret, but once you have a good team, you can do everything. It's, all, it's a team that you can trust. It's a team that you know that will do the job better than you would. And then you just have fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think delegating is super important. I've read many articles on having businesses, especially ones that have you know, focus on different projects. And if you just do everything yourself, then you'll end up burning out, essentially, right? Yeah, or, or burning out or not being efficient because you're only one person. And you, even if you're the greatest person on earth, you can't do a 20-people job, okay? You can't be at four places at once, okay? So it's uh, if you want to go... Further, you have to have a good team, and each team member is a power multiplier to your own capabilities. So that's uh, the way it goes. Yeah, and it's worth the investment, especially if you're thinking of you know, making your business bigger, like if any of the listeners. Of course, and, it, and it's not an investment if it's uh, creating revenue. So it's not like you're you. So you know you grow slowly. You don't grow rapidly. Start hiring twenty people or thirty people or forty people. I, I started by myself, and when I got to my full capacity, I started hiring people that did the stuff I hate to do, which is mostly administrative work. So after I got rid of that pain in the neck, I had time to do my passion projects. And when you do something out of passion and something that you love doing, then you'll be better at it. So there, again, and that's my, my secret. Is I only do things that I love doing, and then you achieve more and better and again as you said you avoid that burnout sometimes people get mm -hmm. can, can you talk a little bit about your photography school because that sounds very unique and exciting so uh sure so in in the 2005 six, seven, um i started I, I was already photographing but uh, i learned everything from the internet which was kind of uh young at that time in 2002 when i started and I, because I learned everything from the internet, I, I felt like, I, I believe in karma. So if you got something, you got to give back. And if you give, you'll get. So, you know, that's the way that life goes. So since I got so much from the internet, I had to give back. So I wrote a lot of photography articles that were available for free for everybody to, to, to read and enjoy. And then I started doing YouTube stuff as well. So, uh, and then I understood that all the photography schools in Israel, that's where, where, where I lived, I felt like nobody knew how to teach photography, which is kind of arrogant to say when you're 25 years old, because I saw that everybody teaches photography in a very boring, dull, anachronistic, like old way, academic way, learning about, you know, the beginning of photography and how the a camera obscura worked and learning about old photographers and art and stuff like that. And a lot of people, including myself, were more interested in taking photos and not about the history of photography and the history of art and uh, yada, yada, yada. So, or, or even film cameras. You know, I started off with digital. And so I created a photography school that was about hobby. It was about having fun. I believe that photography is fun and should be fun and should be taught in a fun way. So that's how I created my photography school. And I, I came, because I'm, I'm kind of ADD, uh, ADHD, sorry. And, and then uh, because I, I, I was so... Um, I had such a hard time sitting in a classroom and I thought that if I can learn better when I'm having fun, everybody can learn better while they're having fun. So uh, that's how I created my photography school. It's about the fun of learning photography. And this was 2007. 
And that photography school has grew. And within two years, it was the largest photography school in Israel. And by year three, we already were over 70% market share. So we've had 2,500 students per year. So, and again, it's a physical school, not an online. And that grew. And then so far, over 30,000 graduates. I mean, the market has shrunk. So there are less people running photography now than back in the days. Because um, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, people were still switching from film to digital or from a compact camera to a DSLR. And so you had a lot of newcomers to teach. And today, because of smartphones, all the mid-market of the compact cameras has disappeared from the landscape. So now you have only smartphones and professional cameras. Okay, so you don't have that that gap in between. And so th that has disappeared. And the people who have upgraded from film to digital are also gone. I don't think that nobody else uses film these days. And even the people that upgraded, I mean, the cameras are so good that even a camera from 10 years ago, like the D800 or the D810 of Nikon or whatever, of Canon 5D Mark II or three, are still great cameras. So people don't need to upgrade. So that's why the market has shrunk. And this is why we are more concentrating now, rather than just teaching photography, also about content creating. Because photographers are content creators. Uh, and, and so you have to adapt or disappear. Uh, so, I mean, this is like, um, I don't know, the basics of the photography school. Of course, we could talk a lot about that, but I think I might be boring the listeners with all that photography school talk. <laughs> No, no, it's a, it's a great description. Congratulations on the success of your school. And Thank you. I'm curious to know, because a lot of people, they start online schools or online education blog or something like that, which I guess is uh, much less of an investment financially than yeah. having like a brick and mortar. Yeah, school. yeah. So what was your reasoning behind having like an actual physical space? So th th there is a huge reasoning. And, and again, uh, if you look at 15 years ago when I started the photography school, uh, it the internet was still beginning. So in just, you know, the early days of YouTube, the early days of Facebook, the early days of social media in general. So only the iPhone came out in 2007. So this was also not a competition. And even then, if I didn't have a camera or a very bad camera. So um, I believe that photographing, photographing with a physical score, not online, then you get a, uh, an immediate feedback. And when you go on an out, outdoor session, so every course has outdoor sessions, uh, and you hold the camera and you show the students how to take photos, and they show you their results, and you tell them, okay, let's try do something else. Let's try to do it that way. And when you do it in the studio, and you can show them how you adjust the lights and see the results in real time, and yada, yada, yada. So it's way more practical and efficient to do it physically in person and rather than online. Um, and we always compare it to learning swimming online. Okay, uh, you don't go to learn swimming online because you have to feel it for yourself. You have to be there in person. And I think that the online experience loses a lot of that. So um, in order to approach that angle as well, do, we do teach online and also other schools of course teach online uh, and since the pandemic started and um, so we do international photography workshops so we take people from 
the US and, and Canada and UK and Netherlands and Australia to Africa or, uh, or Antarctica or Svalbard like I'm doing tomorrow. And then we do the field excursion. And that's when people who learned online and now they want to feel how they do it in person and, and show me hands on. Uh, so they go on those trips and they come back 10 days after with a whole different level of skill because photography is not about knowledge. Okay. Um, and that's the key difference. Photography is not about knowledge. Photography is a skill and to convert knowledge to skill. You have to practice, practice, practice. You have to be as much as you can out there. Even if you learn music and notes and you know how to read notes and you know how you know your history of music, if you don't practice your piano or your violin or your whatever, you won't be good at it. That's the same thing as here. Okay, you have to to develop that skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, if you just read about photography information of course that's useful and it might help you at some point but it's very important to practice that's how yeah. you develop your own style that's how you're going to understand what your strengths and your weaknesses are so exactly yeah, that's the point that you're making let's go into technical equipment for a little bit i'm sure, sure. they're curious to know what kind of cameras or gear you use so could you let us know what you use so I've got a lot of, of uh, toys here uh, th this is a, a podcast not a video uh interview so i won't show you all the toys but it's uh as an econ ambassador again i i, I gotta be upfront with this uh, so I'm, I'm getting a lot of gear from from nikon and as well as prototypes uh and so i i'm uh, it, it's a huge honor and privilege to be a part of the team that actually tests the products before they go out and gives feedback to the engineers in, at nikon and there are incredible engineers over there so I'm, I'm really lucky on, on that aspect. So I'm using everything that all the best gear that Nikon has to offer. And uh, so I'm now I'm using mirrorless cameras, of course. Uh, so I have the Z9 uh, as well as the Z62 and the Z72. And with lenses, I have practically everything the 14 to 24, 24, 70, 7200. 108 to 400, the 800 millimeter f6.3 PF, the new one that just got launched, uh, the um, um, 500 f5.6 PF. Um, what else? I need to look at my, yeah, well, uh, 85 f1.4. Uh, again, I have so many toys over here, and as well as tripods. So I'm using the systematic um, line by Gitzo, which is the professional one, and the Mountaineer for the trap cameras. And um, and I'm using SanDisk memory cards as well as storage with the SSDs that I use to download and backup everything. And I also have a G-RAID over here with 24 terabytes. So I've got two of these. So yeah, lots and lots and lots of toys. And of course, some toys I can't mention because they're still <laughs> unmentionable. <laughs> well, it's really exciting. Do you have a favorite piece of equipment? Uh, well, depending on the project, so I don't think there is um, one piece of equipment. Well, I, let's say, first of all, the Z9 is my favorite camera, but that's an easy, uh, an easy statement to make because it's such a great camera. Uh, it's like when I held it for the first time, it was like taking something from the future, which is like light years away from everything else that I've used. 
So I won't touch any other camera unless I have to. But when it comes to lenses, uh, when I'm photographing polar bears, I'm usually doing the 800, uh, the 6.3 PF, which is super light. It's 2.3 kilograms and it's um, really sharp. Uh, and the 400 2.8 with the built-in teleconverter, which is also a brilliant lens. That's mostly my lens of choice in Africa, but not in Svalbard. But if you ask me uh, which lens I like photographing wildlife with the most, that would be uh, the 24 to 70. Okay? Because if you're using 24 to 70 millimeter lens, that means you're really close to the animal. And as uh, Robert Kappa said, uh, if your images are not good enough, that means you're not close enough. So I like getting close and personal, and then I'm getting images with wide angle, and you have that environmental portrait where you see the animals and the landscape around it. And that's usually uh, that what gives you the strongest results. Because using a, a, a telephoto lens, you really flatten your image, so you have your your animal but nothing else around it so it's good for behavior it's good for portrait but it's not good for environmental portrait or or, or telling the story without isolating the subject from the the its uh, surrounding yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i'm sure that's dangerous at times but it does give you great results yeah so you use a uh, uh, remote uh trigger or you use uh, you know, cable release or a monopod or something like that. So I did use a lot of those, uh, or even your Wi-Fi to control the, the camera with, it, with your iPhone. So I did use a lot of those, um, but again, I would do my best to be as close as possible and use a wide angle over uh, anything else, unless you, know, you have to. Absolutely. Yeah, and a drone as well. A drone is also another tool that uses a wide-angle lens and gives you greater creativity um, shooting from angles that you're personally limited in. Um, but you, also, you know, sometimes also I improvise. So let's say when I was in Kenya, I couldn't fly a drone because drones are illegal in Kenya. Uh, so what I did is I took a, a, a Gizzo monopod, a long monopod, and I mounted a gimbal on top of the monopod, the Manfrotto uh, M460 uh, gimbal, motorized gimbal. And I mounted the camera on the gimbal. So I had that drone-like motion from a high angle with a, with a monopod uh, sticking high up and lowering it down and moving it sideways just like a drone would do. Uh, and it went so well that when I uh, posted the video on my YouTube channel, people asked me, how did you fly a drone there? It's illegal. I said, I didn't fly a drone there. It's all about flying a drone. It's about the perspective of a drone, which you can also achieve with a, with a good mirrorless camera as well. Yeah, it's great that you're able to find creative solutions to these problems. Uh, so, yeah, so I think every problem is a challenge and every challenge can be solved. So when you have a challenge, you always have a solution, okay? You just have to think creatively and out of the box. Absolutely. It's very clear that you care about taking photographs of animals that are personal, that there's a story behind them. It's, yeah. They're not just flat, which I really appreciate. How yeah. long does it typically take you to connect with your subject? Because they're often wild animals, so I'm sure it takes time. So it all depends on the subject and the animal that I'm photographing. Um, because I've been so many times 
in those locations. So I've been over 20 times in, in Africa and I've been over 15 times in Svalbard. And I've been, so I'm, I'm used to going to those places and especially when I'm guiding there, uh, I try to teach people how to create that connection. And once you know the animals and what to expect, then it's faster to connect, okay? So, you know, I, I've already photographed hundreds of polar bears, so I know what polar bears do. I know what polar bears like and what they don't like and how do I make them feel comfortable around me and how we keep quiet and silent and don't move. Uh, and, uh, and there are noises that they don't like, like Velcro. So if you open up a Velcro, the polar bear won't like it. So don't do anything with your Velcro. So, you know, it's like these little things that really, um, really make a difference. And then I think that when you, when you build uh, trust with the animal, and you let the animal feel that they are in charge, okay? They are in control. Uh, let them come closer to you. Don't don't chase them, okay? That's when you get that uh, fly on the wall approach. That you're not there. You're not harassing the animal. And I think that the biggest compliment I can get with an animal uh, is that when it falls asleep in front of me. Okay, because when a polar bear or whatever, any other animal, uh, sleeps in front of me, like 20 meters away from me, or 30 or 50 meters, whatever, uh, that animal feels comfortable with me. Okay, and with that animal, I know that I can work with, that we have, have established that trust, and that animal would behave as it would even if I wasn't there. And this is what I'm trying to get. Because if the animal changes her or his behavior, I don't like referring to animals as it. Okay, I, I think that it really degrades them of their personality and character. So if uh, she or, or he feels uncomfortable or changes their behavior by me being there, then I've already lost. Uh, that won't be a good image and this, is, won't, this won't be a good uh, project. So uh, if the animal is skittish or nervous or stressed, I would go to another animal. Mm -hmm. Is there an animal that you found particularly difficult to photograph? Well, I think I, I didn't find an animal that's difficult to photograph. I found more challenging to photograph, but I also I think that with every animals, every animal you have um, different uh, individuals behave differently. So you have polar bears that are aggressive and you have polar bears that are afraid and nervous and stressed and skittish, and they have polar bears that are indifferent and then don't care about you being there. For them, you're air. Okay, and this is, these are the animals that I'm, I'm looking for. So, um, and it's the same with every an other animal. Okay, so you have bears in Kamchatka that are aggressive and bears that are nervous, and you have bears that are okay with you. You have lions and you have cheetahs that are the same. Um, yeah, so I think it all depends on the individual and not about a species. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. 
I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Yeah, and I like that you refer to animals as she or he because, as you said, it kind of degrades them to call them it. And if you have that perspective already, then that helps you have a better relationship with the animals because you're yeah, absolutely, and, and especially with. Uh... I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the uh, of the public in America, I gave a lot of talks in America, and uh, I always find myself in need to convince them that animals have a character and they feel and they're not it, they're not objects, okay? There are living things that we should care about. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, uh, I'm trying to fight trophy hunting and I'm trying to, to fight a lot of the uh, misconceptions that Animals don't feel sad. People that animals don't feel sadness. Of course they do. Did you see a mother polar bear grieving her young cub? Did you see a whale trying can't leave her a young whale uh, uh, calf? You saw an elephant. I saw an elephant uh, mother with her dead baby elephant, and she just tried to move it around, and he didn't move, and she tried picking him up, and he fell because he was dead, and she wouldn't let go, and you can see that she's grieving, and. And then, so I, I find myself always trying to convince that they are living things with a soul, okay? And they are, uh, and we should care if they go extinct because people think that it doesn't affect them. And if it doesn't affect them, then they don't care. So uh, when people started asking me, why should I care? And I've, at first I was annoyed by this question. I thought it was a stupid question. And I'm like, I, I responded really poorly. And I said, what do you mean, why should you care? What kind of stupid, what kind of dumb question is that? But then I understand, I mean, I was stupid, I, not, not the person, because I understood that this is a really smart question. Because if people don't understand why should they care, they won't care. So I did an entire TED talk about that, uh, that I gave in, in Glasgow, uh, about why should we care? And because I think this is the key question. And because people care about themselves, that's why also in my images, I try to humanize uh, the animals. I try to give them a character and a story, and I make them look really lovey-dovey and endearing, and mothers with cubs and uh, sad animals and happy animals. Because I want to show people that they are not so different from you and I. Okay, They are also living, breathing, lively uh, creatures that deserve a place on this planet just as much as we do. Our 365 Days of Photography course is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer. My teammate Kevin LJ has produced this course in a step-by-step -step format which is very easy to follow. The course is presented in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. Each lesson is around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others in the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. 
you will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we're offering a very special discounted price of $199. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. Absolutely. It's all about respect. I mean, I completely agree with what you said about them having different characters and personalities. I have a cat, and I've been she's been with me for around seven years. And I've gotten to know and appreciate cats and their behaviors because I'll see her and I'll see cats outside. It's completely different personalities, the way that they approach you, just the way that yeah. they react. Even these lovely little creatures, yeah. ants, even birds, they have their own personalities. Every animal. It's, it's magical, right? And you appreciate them yeah. and you don't want to hurt them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I, I'm a vegetarian, you know, and also I need to... People ask me, why? Okay, or, or uh, when I'm, especially when I'm in uh, like third world countries. What is vegetarian? I, I'm like, I don't, I don't eat meat. Why? What do you mean you don't eat meat? So you eat chicken. No, I don't eat meat at all. Why? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Are you sick? No, I just don't want to eat dead animals. Okay. Uh, and you have to explain that. And you ask, why? You be like, could, could keep asking me that question. They don't understand that concept. And you have to explain, and they don't get it, that animals have character and personality and a soul, and, and they feel joy and love and pain and, and sorrow. Um, yeah, and I think that it's kind of sounds ridiculous that we need to educate people about that, but we do. Yeah, there are so many different cultures. Some people embrace meat, others don't. So it can be a bit of a difficult discussion, I guess, to have. With yeah. yeah. Yeah, but everywhere I go in those strange places people think of me like a like a handicap why you don't eat meat <laughs> <laughs> yeah you mentioned that uh, you do expeditions with your students and with, yeah. with other people who want to learn about photography and you mentioned also that when you go to there was a time when you went to Svalbard and there was a 10-day ex expedition the students learned a lot from that and they learned how to mm -hmm. their skills so you've worked with so many different kinds of people who want to improve their photography is there a particular experience where a student learned something very interesting that inspired you maybe as a teacher? I think that with every expedition, and I mean it, and this is why, maybe it sounds lazy. I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't. But with every expedition, I learned something new from the students. So I found that when I go to expeditions with students rather than going alone, I get better pictures, <laughs> no, because I, it also it makes me try harder. It makes me push my limits because people are expecting uh, from you to lead and, and, and teach and, and create. And uh, so it, it always pushes me beyond my limits. And this is why a lot of the times I prefer going with a group that I'm guiding rather than going alone. Uh, so, you know, it pushes me beyond my limits as well as, I'm learning from them because somebody, when you have 10 sets of eyes, okay, you can see we're only with your two eyes. And even if your two eyes are great, you won't see as good as 10 eyes. And people see some things that I didn't see, like, I don't know, a, a reflection of a lioness in the water that I was looking at another way and the, the lioness was behind us. And I, I, I didn't see that until that person told me. So again, you always, uh, learn from everyone around you. Uh, I learned from in Antarctica. I was in Antarctica, and and the chef of the boat, 
Uh, actually, showed me uh, a coral penguin with a nice uh, uh, ice in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't matter who you are, and even if you're a photographer or not a photographer, uh, as long as you have a good mind and a good set of eyes, um, I'm happy to learn from you. You know, uh, you always, always be ready to learn and always accept the the fact that you don't know everything and you still have a lot of room to improve and that fact will never change okay so if you think you know everything you'll learn nothing (laughs) that's very true that's very (laughs) true it's amazing that you are opening yourself up to your students and you're not just teaching them you're learning from them and you're open to their perspective that's beautiful of course this is the only way to improve i mean uh, people who don't do that are missing out on a huge part of life that's true that's very true yeah not just the student the chef and and the, and the waitress and the captain and the engineer, everyone. I mean, it's again, open your mind and accept that everyone has a lot to contribute. You can everybody knows something that you don't. Yes, exactly. Yeah, everyone has a unique perspective that you might not be yeah. able to you know see on your own. And with my parents, for example, uh, if I go out with them somewhere, they see something like the sky or a certain angle that I would have never considered. Exactly. And they're like, but we're not photographers, you know, you're the photographer. I'm like, no, it's it's a great perspective. You don't need exactly. to feel like, like you're less exactly. than Yeah, you might see something that I would have never seen, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Incredible. Great. So you learn a lot from your students. And it's interesting that you, I mean, naturally, you do want to do your best when there are 10 sets of eyes looking at you. But it, it's great that they give you that inspiration to, to work yeah. better, to, to do better. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know, you have so much experience as a wildlife photographer. In your opinion, what makes a good wildlife photographer? Well, it's uh, it's about telling a story. That's where it comes down to. Okay, Because photography is a means of communication. And you have to tell the story in the best way possible without using words. Okay, Because <laughs> it's, it's a visual tool. But also our, our vision as humans, as homo sapiens, is our key sense okay like polar bears are with their smell for us it's the eyesight so it's the most gratifying form of communication so for me a good wildlife photographer is one that knows how to use and feed that uh, sense that visionary sense and telling a story that and this story can be um, a strong portrait uh, with emotion this story can be a good behavior of action, I don't know, a chase or uh, mothers and cubs or mating and courtship or whatever the story is. It has to have a story. And if you uh, combine that with an innovative approach to composition and to um, technique and using a, like a wide angle or a split image or a drone shot or whatever, if you bring something new to the table, that really takes it a step further. And I think this is not just um, not just the photography aspect of things, but it's also the creativity aspect of things. And it's also the entrepreneurial aspects of things. Because you see what there is and you think about what there isn't and how do I bridge the gap between what there is and what there isn't. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's more than, than the photography. Okay. People always talk about photography gear or 
image data, what kind of aperture did, I, did you use? What does it matter? I mean, it, you have this incredible scene in front of you. You're talking to me about the aperture. Come on, man. Think about the entire thing around it. It's not the aperture. Yeah, it's F8. Okay, so what? Does that mean if you put an F8 on your camera, you'll get something better? No. Okay. It's about uh, uh, taking that extra step. Okay. And I think that this is the key thing about being a wildlife photographer, a good wildlife photographer. And I'm a judge in several photo competitions, photo awards. And I'm also I'm participating in photo, photo awards. And I know what the judges are looking for in the awards as a participant. And I know what I'm looking for as a judge. Okay. And, and it's always about the story and the innovation. Okay. Uh, if you see more of the same, I mean, and I think that we have raised the bar so high in the last five to 10 years. I mean, if you look at images that won awards 20 years ago, 20 years ago, okay. If you look at images that won awards today, they wouldn't even make it to the finals. Okay. Because there are so many great photographers out there. And the photography gear has gotten so much better. You know, you got 20 frames per second. You don't have to think about the timing as much as you had to when you had just three frames per second. Okay, and you have a, a huge resolution, I don't know, 45, 50 megapixels, so you can crop it easily, uh, which is back in the days you had six megapixels or three megapixels, okay, which you couldn't crop, uh, and now you can. Uh, so, I mean, the, today, the photographer, it has to have a huge part in the composition and the storytelling rather than the technique, which was a huge part of photography 20 years ago. That's very true. Even smart film cameras nowadays, I mean, the megapixels yeah. over 20, 30. I mean, I yeah. don't know. And not just about the megapixels, it's even the, the image quality itself. I mean, the fact that this, I'm using an iPhone 13 Pro, uh, the, the portrait mode is brilliant and the cinematic mode is is epic and with wide angle uh, images, I found myself using that a lot uh, and, and it's getting a, a not as great of a technical result as a, as a, as a mirrorless camera. But uh, for family photos, it certainly serves the purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing that we have all this technology that is often very affordable. As you said earlier, 5D Mark II, which I have, might be an old camera, but it's still great. Yeah, it does. And what people think, I mean, people always, photographers, especially wildlife photographers, are gear obsessed, okay? So we always say that there is, they have a GUS, uh, the gear upgrade syndrome. And that means that as, as photographers, if the image is not good, we hardly blame ourselves, okay? We blame the camera. If I only had the latest camera, or if I only had that lens, or whatever, I would get, I would have gotten that great photo. Okay, and it's not the camera. Okay, it's not the lens. It's a photographer because people took great photos even with a 5D Mark II. They don't have to have the R5 to get great photos. Okay, and then those people who upgrade sometimes the. Uh, they, they stay frustrated because then they understand that it's not just the camera, it's themselves. So uh, my greatest tip for, for the listeners would be invest in yourself as, a, as photographers, okay? Invest in your uh, creative technique, invest in going out there. Even if you have a, 
a great camera and you, and you just spend all your money on a new lens or whatever, and you don't go out to the field because you don't have money, to, you don't have any funds left going to Africa or to Svalbard or whatever or Kamchatka, okay, uh, you won't get good photos staying at home with a brilliant camera. Okay, it's about going out there, being in the experience, being in the moment, being in the field, being in front of the animals, waiting for the right moment, capturing that story, and then sharing that story online. That's the full process, not the lens. <laughs> okay, not the aperture. Okay, come on. It's about the story. That's very true. Yeah, and connecting with people through that story is such an incredible opportunity. Yeah. As well, it's a great experience when somebody reacts positively to your work or is moved by a picture, especially in wildlife photography, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and if you inspire someone to think differently about the environment, it's probably yeah. very thrilling to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I gave a talk at the United Nations in uh, World Wildlife Day on March 3rd, 2020, a moment before the pandemic. And when I was there and I saw uh, emissaries, ambassadors from different countries, and they, I talked about biodiversity. And you can see their eyes light up. And that's when I knew, I mean, it's, I, I did it. I mean, it, I can't explain that feeling. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm getting excited like a little kid when I see that my images are creating some kind of impact. Um, and I think that as wildlife photographers, all of us, uh, we, we are nature photographers as well, of course. We share a huge responsibility on telling that story and creating that impact. Uh, we're, at least to me, I can't talk to anyone else on behalf of anyone else. Um, when I'm taking photos, I'm trying to, to create a change. Okay, I want my images to go beyond the virtual space into the real world, affecting people's minds and actions and not just uh, having that like or, or or a thumbs up or whatever, um, that fire emoji. I don't care about those, that, those things. I care about people changing their behavior and helping our planet. Uh, and I think this is, again, one of the huge strengths of photography, um, that we do have that responsibility. And we are the storytellers and the ambassadors of remote places that most people would never get to. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to have a purpose behind your photography, because if you're just taking photographs, just as a hobby, I guess that's great as well, just a creative outlet. But I think it's more fulfilling when there's something deeper than that. Yeah, it gets its all full potential. I mean, it's not just um, snapping. Yeah, not just snapping. Well, yeah, it's okay to take a snap if that's what you want, okay? Yeah, exactly. it's, uh, I, I don't judge, okay? Do whatever you want, whatever feels good for you, okay? It's okay. That's why I said I can only talk on behalf of myself and not uh, of anyone else. But I'm sure that a lot of people share that feeling as well. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people share that feeling for sure. Well, Roy, I have one more question for you. And that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? One? Okay. <laughs> I don't have one. I have 30. I have 50. I don't know. I don't have one. Um what I want to achieve again I, I, I want to it's not about the photography again and I'm sorry to deflect but it would be um, to take uh, a forum of world leaders to Antarctica or to Svalbard or to any of those locations where you see global warming 
on and in its full impact because the Arctic is warming up two to three times as fast as the rest of the world. And you see that impact and that change um, with your own eyes. Okay, this is why I became an environmental and environmentalist in general, an environmental diplomat specifically, because I wasn't until I saw that place year after year and I saw the change and then I got a slap to the face and understood that I have to do something about it. So if you ask me what my goal, my goal would be to take uh, a forum of world leaders to those places and show them what is going on, what we are causing. And, and uh, when they see a polar bear and when they see the plastic on the beaches and when they see the ice melting and when they see the impact that we have on our fragile planet, that's when I think that um, actions will start to happen. So I'm sorry to talk about photography. Uh, I can come up with a, a photography thing for you, uh, but I think that would be my goal. Again, it's uh, photography is a tool. Okay, photography uh, gets me and, and, and you and many other listeners here to this podcast out of their comfort zone. It gets us to experience the world in a bigger, better, deeper view. It gets us to unique places and it creates opportunities that we would never have encountered in any other way. So we gotta ask ourselves, what do we do with those opportunities? Okay, um, do we take them beyond the virtual world into the physical world or we keep it virtual? Okay, and that's up to each and every one of you. Absolutely. No, it's a great answer. And it doesn't have to be exactly exclusively photography related. It's a, it's a great answer because your photography journey has led you to this purpose. And it has yeah. allowed you to meet so many people outside of photography. And as you said, it's a tool. So I think we often feel, I mean, I can't speak for everyone as well. For myself, sometimes I feel like photography has been my identity. And that's all it was. Mm -hmm. If you go beyond that and you use it as a tool to do new things to maybe help people. I think it's it's more fulfilling in general that way. So, yeah. And you do that as well with the podcast. So you created out of that hobby, out of that photography, a network of people of spreading the joy and love of photography and inspiring people to go beyond their everyday photography into new realms of photography. Oh, and I think that's, again, so we, re we are very similar on that aspect uh, with uh, my photography school and the photography expeditions. We want to get people to experience more. And I think that's what we, because we are creators, okay? We are sharing. I create photos and stories and companies and kids, apparently, because I have four. So I, 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 we do that. We create. And I think that uh, creating uh, I think it has something to do with immortality, okay? Because as long as we're creating, we are leaving something behind us. And I think that has a lot to do with the inevitable demise uh, that we come eventually. So I think that photography and creation in general is a lot about immortality. Absolutely. And yeah, maybe it's, it's too philosophical, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> You know, I think it, it can be a source of inspiration to people because uh, you know a lot of people, they want to leave something behind for their kids or for just people in general. And if you yeah. are creating with that purpose in mind, it's more interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, it gives you, again, life is what you create of it. 
So, well, Roy, thank you for sharing your stories and tips with me and the listeners. It was really fun to learn about you. And I wish you all the very best with your 30, 70, 100 goals that you want to achieve. <laughs> thank you. And I hope to see you in one of my expeditions. That would be amazing. Thank you. Great Big Photography World wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. I really admire Roy's ability to juggle so many responsibilities in his life. I hope you learned a lot from him, and I hope that you are inspired to take photos of the world around you that really speak to you personally and that you take the time to listen to other people's advice and you take the time to learn about different perspectives. What really stood out to me in this interview was the fact that Roy listens to other people, even if they're not photographers, and he embraces different worldviews, different perspectives. I just think that's very inspiring. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.